great to see all you guys. We're uh, humbled to have you. It's been an incredible weekend. And I want to say thank you to all of our volunteers that uh, work really hard for us to be able to do Easter. <clears throat> yes. You know, they, um, they, they work hard. And we've got an incredible staff team. They're small, but they have put in uh, just so many hours to try to do all the things that we do at Easter. I do want to tell you, before we get started, if you look on the back of this little program that we gave you, there is a little pink, all right, 1-800-HOTLINE-BLING, and what, really it's a Q&A series, okay? So you got questions about the Bible or whatever those questions are, and we're going to spend the next two weeks answering as many of those questions as we can. So if you look at the bottom, all you have to do is text your question to 954-417-8212, all right? Eight, two, I think they have a slide somewhere. There we go. 954-417-8212, just text your question and we'll answer as many as we can depending on, I guess, how deep your questions are, how difficult they are. So uh, it should be a lot of fun. I hope you'll come back and be a part of that. Now, you know, each year, I've been in ministry, uh, it's not what I planned on doing, but I've now over 20 years, and you get ready for Easter and you think, okay, what perspective, God, do you want us to look at? You know, which one of the Gospels, or how, how do you want us to talk about Easter? And I'm excited because this year, we're going to look at a perspective that uh, it really speaks to me, I, because I can connect with it. And I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, and there's something that just like, ah, oh man, I can connect with. It seems to grab me at a deeper level. So if you got your Bible or your app or whatever it is that you have, turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 24, all right? Luke chapter 24. We're going to read uh, a few verses here. Now, kind of remember what's going on. Jesus, you know, started this ministry about the age of 30, and uh, people followed him, and they thought he's going to throw out the Romans. They thought they were going to be the, you know, the people in charge, and, and they thought all these cool things were going to happen, but what they didn't think was going to happen, happened. Jesus was nailed to a tree uh, in his hands, his feet, a crown of thorns on his head, a spear in his side, and he dies, and they put him into the tomb. And when they put him into the tomb, well, Luke 24 is what happens. Look what it says. But very early on that Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb. They were taking spices that they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared. They were clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified, and they bowed their faces to the ground. And then the men ask, and this is, this is the part that really speaks to me. This is the part that I can understand. Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he, Jesus, told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful man. He must be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered. They remembered that he had said all this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell the 11 disciples, to tell the boys everything that had happened. In verse 10, it was Mary, it was Joanna, it was Mary, the mother of James. And it's very interesting and important that it mentions him by name. And here's the reason why, is that um, 
much of the New Testament or several places in the New Testament were actually written 15 to 25 years after the event. In other words, these people were still alive. And so the people who read this could go to them and say, hey, did that really happen? Was the tomb really empty? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? And you will never find an account written where one of them, because they know, we know their names. They're not just blank people that we can't ask. No, we, we know their names. And you'll never find an account where someone said, no, that's just a big myth. You know, he, no, it didn't happen. He's still in the grave. And so there's historical evidence for the reality of the resurrection. So it's important that he says names and not just, you know, uh, women or men. Now, look how they respond in verse 11. But the women, I mean, but the story sounded like what? Now that sounded pretty weak. Let's do it again. All right? Because it is Easter, right? Are, are you happy that it's Easter? Or... All right, listen, are you still frustrated about the parking? All right? I, I, I promise. We're doing the best we can. You drop a million dollars, it'll be fixed by next year. I promise, okay? That's all that it'll take. Here we go. <clears throat> Verse 11. So it sounded like what? Yeah, now you got it. It sounded like nonsense to them, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up. He ran to the tomb. He stooped in, he's looking around, he saw the empty linen wrappings, and then he went home again, wondering what in the world had happened. So when you think about the wonder of Easter, the mystery of Easter, that's exactly what Peter was experiencing. He, the sense of mystery, what, what's happened here? And he began to wonder. Several years ago, of course, when the kids were young, uh, and I, we had a, a pool bigger than this, but never had an in-ground pool when the kids were young. But we did have one of those above-ground pools occasionally. Or we'd go to a hotel, and they would have an in-ground pool. And I, I, here's what I would always do when the kids were young. Is I'd get in the pool, and I'd be, jump to me. Come on, jump to me. All three of them at different times when they were young. Jump to me. Come on, jump to daddy. You love daddy more than mommy. Come on, prove it. Right? Trying to get them to jump to me. I don't know if you ever did that, but... That's what I would do. And all three of the kids responded differently to that. Tyler, you met him a few moments ago. He's the oldest. And, and Tyler was the most cautious. I mean, he'd get to the edge of the pool and he'd be, okay, he'd have a ton of questions. Okay, Daddy, are, are you sure you can still catch me? Because I've grown a little bit since last time. You know, Daddy, you need to scoot up. Put your arms out. Let me make sure, you know. He always had a lot of questions. Carson, our middle son, well, he, he, he is very adventurous. I mean, he had already fell in the pool and about drowned it twice before I even asked him to jump. When, when he was three, four years old, maybe five years old, I don't know, he was little. And if we didn't watch, keep our eye on him, we lived in a, you know, Arkansas at the time, a smaller community, but he'd wander around the neighborhood and we'd find him in a neighbor's house, sitting down at their table, drinking milk and talking to him about something. They just always wandering around. Bailey, our, our daughter and our youngest, when, when she would get to the edge of the pool, it was never about the pool. It wasn't about how deep is the water, Daddy, or, you know, is the wind blowing. It was always about the relationship. It was always about Daddy. You know, Daddy, you're going to catch me? I've told you before, uh, years ago, we went to Dollywood. How many have ever been to Dollywood? Right? Okay, two, three. All right, you need to put that on your bucket list, Dollywood, in the hills of Tennessee. 
It's an amusement park that Dolly Parton owns. And we went with another couple. They had three kids, we had three kids. And you know, kids all wanna ride together. So all six of them rode with the other couple. I don't know how that worked out, but it was pretty good for me and Steph. And we get to the amusement park and, you know, they dropped off all the kids and uh, Steph got out. And so me and the, uh, the other guy that was driving go park the vans. And you know, at an amusement park, you don't just park across the street. You have to park, as they would say in Arkansas, way over yonder, all right? And so we park the cars, and we get on the train, and we ride the little train up, and we're standing in line with everybody getting ready to buy our tickets. And Stephanie and I are looking around, and we asked the other couple, we said, well, where's Bailey? And they had that look on their face, you know what I'm talking about? And they said, we thought she was with you. Well, what had happened is she had fell asleep in the car seat. And I mean, you know, as a parent, you, the moment that happens, you just kind of get this sick feeling in your stomach, and Steph looks at me as if it were my fault, you know. So I just took off running. There's no time to get on that little train. Man, I took off running. <laughs> of course, when I got tired, I had to get on the train before I got all the way back. But finally, I get there, and I hope, you know, because I'm, is she in the parking lot? Did she get out of the van? I mean, I walk, I find the van, I open the door. She's still in her car seat. Wise, eyes wide open, and I'm like, Bailey, Oh, sweetie, Bailey, were you afraid? And she said, no, I knew my daddy would come get me. Now, she said that when she was about three years old. She's 15 now, and she still gets whatever she wants, okay? Because <laughs> she has me wrapped around her finger. Now, they all responded differently, yet they all hesitated for a moment. They all had a little bit of doubt before they would jump to their dad. And I don't understand that because they had seen their dad. They had seen their dad go to the gym and work out. They had seen their dad carry in the groceries, right? And when you carry in the groceries, why go twice when you can go once? I mean, right, you just load up those arms and you care. They had seen their dad do that. They had seen their dad pick them up, two of them at one time, on dry land. And even though they had seen all that, there was a hesitation, maybe even a little bit of doubt at the edge of the pool. Well, as we celebrate Easter this year, I, I think Easter's a reminder of a lot of things. But one of the things that I think Easter is a reminder of, and this is what I wrote in, in, in my journal, and it may be in your outline as well. Fear and doubt, when you're at the edge of the pool, and Christ is calling you to jump, to trust him, uh, fear and doubt are often normal. Right? The disciples experienced it, and I think many of us are experiencing it. But it's not just that fear and doubt are often normal. Here's the other thing that Easter reminds us of. Hope often sounds like nonsense. That hope, that hope for healing over an illness, that hope for a reconciliation, of a, it just often seems like nonsense because it did to Peter. Peter said, that's non dead people don't live again. Come on, ladies. It's crazy talk. Fear and doubt are often normal, and hope always sounds like nonsense. There's no doubt in my mind that some of us in here, some of us watching on television, some of us uh, over in one of the other locations or another campus are standing on the edge of the pool. Maybe it's relationally. 
And Jesus is saying, come on, you can, jump, you can trust me with this relationship. And we're like, ah, maybe it's financially. Maybe it's with uh, depression or maybe it's with some kind of addiction or maybe it's with joy or happiness. But we're standing right here on the edge of the pool and you know that God's kind of nudging your heart. He's asking you to trust him. And you want to. I can, man, you see it in your eyes of my kids when they were little. You want to, but there's just this hesitation. Now, the disciples had often jumped in. Remember the first time they met Jesus? Jesus is like standing in the pool the first time. And what did he tell them? He said, hey, leave your nets. In other words, leave your profession and do what? Follow me. Come on, guys. You can trust me. Jump to me. And they did. And if you read the New Testament, you find over and over again that the disciples jumped in, that they trusted Christ. I mean, after all, they had seen Jesus carry the groceries, hasn't they? I mean, they had seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with a couple of fish sticks and three or four biscuits. I mean, they had seen Jesus heal the sick, even raise the dead. So they had seen the strength of Christ. But some pools, they're just so deep, aren't they? I mean, some things that Christ asks us to trust him in, it just seems so Ah, man, the wind is blowing, the pool is deep, the, the waves are high. Sometimes it's just, well, it's, it's just challenging. You know, Jesus told them, we read it a moment ago in Luke 24, Jesus told them that he would die and that he would raise, be raised from the dead on the third day. He told them that. And yet when it happened, when they were standing at the edge of the pool, and Jesus was nailed to that tree. And yet, even through all of that, he asked them to trust him. He said, guys, I know you don't understand all, but I'm going to ask you to trust me. And they're there on the edge of the pool as he's arrested and as he's tried and as he's crucified and as he's buried. They're right there on the edge of the pool, but they don't jump in. Not only do they not jump in, they run in the opposite direction. I mean, let me show you in John chapter 20, verse 19. It says, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind what? You got sad on me again, all right? Let's be happy. Got behind what? Yeah, behind locked doors. Why? Because they were what? Yeah, they were afraid. I mean, they ran in the opposite direction. They're like, this, oh, I, and not only did the disciples run in the opposite direction because they were afraid, the ladies, well, they had given up all hope. You say, well, Troy, how do you know they had given up hope? Well, remember what the angel said to them? Remember? The angel said, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? Why are you in the graveyard looking for someone who should be alive? See, we know that they had lost all hope because Jesus had told them that he was going to die, but on the third day, the stone would roll away and he would walk out alive. But when they went looking for Jesus, they didn't go looking for Jesus where he said he would be. They went looking for him where they thought he would be. And I think you and I sometimes, we are all looking for the same thing, right? I mean, we're all looking for peace, joy, right? You want to be happy. You want a sense of peace. You don't want to worry. We're all looking for some kind of financial freedom so we're not stressed out about money all the time or worried about how, you know, our safety. Or, I mean, we're all, we all want the same thing. We really do. 
But sometimes we look in the wrong place. Sometimes we look to other people and we think, man, if I could just find the right spouse or the right person to date, man, it'd just make things better. Just somebody who'd love me, someone who'd accept me. Or maybe if I could, you know, just find the right stuff, the right thing, the right house, the right car, the right pair of shoes, the right jewelry, maybe the right job, and then it'd open doors and I'd have influence and I wouldn't be as stressed out when I get home. So I'd have a better relationship with my kids or, man, a better relationship at school. And it's not that those things are evil because they're not. They're good, actually. God wants to give us those things. It's just that it's the wrong place to look for what we all want. Have, have, you ever looked, have you ever gone looking for something in the wrong place? Let me ask it a different way. Have you ever used Google Maps? All right. Because it will often take you to the wrong place. I remember... Uh, Steph and I were, I don't know, last week, week before, we were in Europe at a meeting, and I'll tell you about later, at, in Portugal. And one of the things I learned in Europe is that if you buy something, when you leave, they'll give you the tax back on it. They'll give you money back. You either put it back on your you know, debit card or give you the cash. But you have to fill out this form, so you buy a souvenir or whatever, and they give you this form. And I gotta tell you, Stephanie is form filler out extraordinaire. She's a detailed person. I, oh, I love her because I'm horrible at it, all right? And so she filled out all of, our, all of the forms and everything, and we show up at the airport. The only problem is when you get to the airport, <laughs> nobody seems to know where you're supposed to go. It's actually quite a deal. you got to go to customs and get something stamped, and then you got to go somewhere else and show them what it is you bought, and then you got to go somewhere else and get your money. And it doesn't seem anybody knows where, where you're supposed to go. So we'd go to one place, and they'd be like, uh, you're in the wrong place. You need to go over there. And you can always tell when some people don't care, right? They just kind of point over there. And so we'd go over there, and we'd look around, and we couldn't find it, and we'd find somebody, and we'd try to, you know, they'd say, no, no, what are you doing here? You're in the wrong place. you got to go over there. And so we'd go over there, and we'd look. I mean, finally, you just give up, don't you? It's like, I, I think they do that on purpose, okay? Just to make it difficult. Now, we did finally find somebody who would help us out, walked us to where we were supposed to go. I mean, it was kind of like being in Walmart or Home Depot and somebody actually helps you find what you're looking for. You know what I'm, I mean, Walmart, I'm from Arkansas, it's good, but, but you just give up sometimes. And I think there are probably some of us here, you know, you've just given up. You've given up on your dream. You've given up on the hope of that relationship being reconciled. You've given up on that uh, dream of starting that business, whatever it is. You, you know what I discovered? Like I said, Stephanie really fills out the forms well. I, I discovered that if you're in the wrong place, it doesn't matter how well you fill out the forms. You're not going to get your money back. I also discovered it doesn't matter how sincere you are. If you're in the wrong place, you're not going to get your money back. And the same thing is true spiritually. See, sometimes we think that if we're sincere, well, then God's going to work it all out in the end. Everything will take care of itself because, after all, I'm sincere. I'm trying to fill out the forms right. If you're in the wrong place, if you're in the wrong place, you're not going to receive what it is that you're looking for. I wonder why they didn't go to the graveyard. You know what I think it is? I think the reason, or excuse me, the reason they did go to the graveyard, I believe, is because, well, it didn't happen the way they thought it was going to happen. 
Jesus didn't do what they thought he was going to do. And when it didn't happen the way they thought it was going to happen, when they thought it was going to happen, I believe they didn't think it was going to happen at all. It's kind of, man, and so they ran to protect themselves. Because isn't that what we all do? Right? When, you, when all of a sudden you're standing at the edge of the pool and, and God doesn't do what you thought he was going to do when you thought he was going to do it or how you thought he was going to do it, what's the tendency we all do? It's, well, I better do it then. Right? I know I feel that way, man, even in ministry. Man, when it comes to what we're trying to do as a church and God doesn't do what I thought, when I thought, how I thought, I'm like, man, I better do something about this. I better talk to this person. I better figure out a way to make this happen. I, and there's this tendency to, I, 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 better, I better do this. That's what the decide. We better protect ourselves. We better get behind that door. We better shut it. We better lock it because, well, it didn't happen the way we thought. And there are probably some of us here, you've kind of taken control. Taking control of your relationship, taking control of your finances. Because, well, it didn't happen. God hasn't done it the way you thought that he would when you thought that he would. I was looking at, let me, well, let me show you uh, Luke chapter 24. When Jesus appears to them after the resurrection, they see him, okay, for the first time. Look at, how, look at what Jesus asked them. He says, why, why are you guys afraid? Why are you behind locked doors, Peter? John, John, why are your hearts filled with doubt? I mean, after all, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me, it had to be fulfilled. The Messiah was going to suffer and he was going to die. But I told you on the third day, I was going to rise from the dead. He said, I, I, I don't understand it. Why, why are you guys so afraid? Why why'd you, why'd you doubt me? I told you, I told you. Easter's coming. And you know, God says, he says the same thing I believe to you and I. Let me, let me show you, John 16, 33. Look what it says. Jesus is speaking here, and he says, I have told you all of this so that you may have, what's this word? Yeah, this is a, this is a really happy word. Why don't, why don't you smile? I see it? Come on, smile, smile. All right. So you'll have what? Yeah, peace in me. Now, what's he saying? He's saying, I've written all this so that you can have what you're looking for, the joy that you're looking for, the happiness that you're looking for, the financial freedom that you're looking for, the healing that you're looking for. He says, I've written this to you so that you can have peace. Why would he have to tell us that? Because here on earth, you're going to have many trials and sorrows. So what is he saying? He's saying, hey, I, I, I'm telling you this because I don't want you to give up on what you're dreaming about. Because here on planet Earth, there are going to be times when I don't do what you thought I would do, when you thought I would do it, how I, you thought I would. I mean, that's what he says. You're going to have many trials, you're going to have many sorrows. There are going to be times when I'm asking you to jump to me and I'm asking you to trust me and I'm asking you to surrender to me and yet I'm not doing what you thought, when you thought, how you thought. But take heart because I have, and I added my little italics, my amplified version, I have and you will do what? Overcome the world. Now, let's go back, okay? Let's go back to that scripture and think about Jesus asking you that. He says, why are you frightened? Why are you so worried about terrorism? 
Why, why are you so worried about your finances? Troy, you don't understand, I lost my job. Why, why are you so worried about the doctor's report? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Why do you no longer believe that I'm going to take care of you? That I'm not going to uh, keep my word? Because after all, I told you in John 16, there will be times when I don't respond in the way that you thought, how you thought, when you thought. But you can take this to the bank. I will respond. Easter is coming. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. He says, well, why, why are you so afraid? Why are you running and hiding behind locked doors, trying to do it within your own strength? I, I told you. But Easter's coming. Easter's coming. I would put this in... Uh, in my, uh, my journal, because I think it's true. Belief is never easy. Hope is always difficult. I think we tend to look at the disciples and we, we think, well, you know, it was easier for them. But it wasn't, was it? How did Peter respond? Nonsense. This is crazy. Come on, now that's crazy talk. Dead people do not live. Once you're dead, you're dead. Well, Peter responded the same way, right? Some of you are right now. When I tell you that God will give you financial freedom, when I tell you that God will reconcile that relationship, when I tell you that God can bring healing to your body, you're like, come on now, Troy, that's crazy talk. You don't understand my situation. You don't understand my challenges. You don't understand how difficult it is for me. No, 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 no. It's always difficult to believe. Not because it's a leap of blind faith. I've already told you, and you can investigate all that you would like. There are historical evidence for the resurrection of Christ. But even beyond that, as difficult it is to believe, yet we see the evidence of that belief all around us. And we see other people who are jumping, surrendering to Christ. But we always explain it away, don't we? See, because you know what we like to do? We like to be religious, and here's what religion is. Religion is where you have one foot in the pool and one foot on the ground. It looks like you're jumping to Christ, but really you're doubting whether or not you're going to drown, so you keep one foot on the dry ground. And what does Christ call us to do? He calls us to jump, and if you've ever jumped to anybody, that means a surrender. In other words, man, if he doesn't do what he said he would do, if he's not who he said he was, I'm going to drown financially, relationally. Faith is always difficult. Belief is never easy. But yet, it's all around us. I was thinking about this week when it came to, I think probably is what the most difficult area to, to jump to Christ in. I think it's the area of our finances. Because I think some of the things that God asks us to do when it comes to money seem like, crazy talk, nonsense, right? I mean, God says, hey, in times, uh, in the same way in which you give, so do you also receive? He tells us that even in times of challenge, that we're to live generously. That seems like crazy talk. I was thinking about Steph and I, and, you know, we're not independently wealthy. Um, our parents uh, didn't leave us a big inheritance. and Well, they haven't died yet, but um, they're... <laughs> They're not uh, going to, or at least my parents. We actually helped them out uh, 
uh, some. You know, we moved here, we moved into Rexmere Village, which is a mobile home park. We lived there for seven or eight years or so. Nothing wrong with a mobile home, but it's not a house. My mom lived with us, so there were six of us. And so Bailey and my mom were in one room and the two boys and then me and Steph in the other. We shared the bathroom. So, so there have been lots of times when we've stood here at the edge of the pool and God's like, jump, trust me financially. Live generously. And I was thinking about those times, and I can say that we have always, in those 27 years that we've been married, we have always returned to God the tithe. Started at 10%, times it's been 20%, but in addition to that, there have been three occasions when we've given an automobile. And not a junker, but an automobile. There have been two occasions when we've given our retirement. And here's what I, a retirement account, and here's what I wrote down in, in my journal because, well, it's what I wrote. We didn't give because we had extra, right? I mean, we didn't jump because we were wearing a life preserver. We, we didn't give because we had extra. We gave because we believed. See, we gave because I really believe the Scripture that says, in the same way in which you give, so do you also receive. I really believe that when it says to bring it to his storehouse, that he'll bless you so much that it'll kind of, you know, go out the windows. And the, I, I believe that. And that's why we jumped. And I can tell you, there have been times when we jumped that if Jesus weren't who he said he would be, we would have drowned. And he hasn't always done what I thought he would, when I thought he would, how I thought he would. But I can tell you, in the 27 years that we've been married, he has always caught us. But it's not just the area of finances. It's really in every area, right? Area of relationships. Jesus says, trust me. He's standing in the pool and he says, hey, trust me with your relationships. In the book of Genesis, right off the bat, a man leaves his mother and father, joined with his wife. They become one. And in that oneness, there's nothing in the world like that. But Jesus says, hey, you need to live um, sexually pure. Jump to me. What, what does that mean? Trust me with your sex life. Trust me with your relationships. Like, that's not, come on now. It's crazy talk. I mean, it's 2016. I live a pure life. People are going to think I'm, I may spend the rest of my life alone. And that's, that's just kind of crazy kind of talk. And yet, isn't that what Christ asks? He asks us to trust him. Faith is never easy. Belief is never easy. And hope always seems like nonsense. Maybe it's in the area of healing, overcoming addiction or depression. And even when it comes to our eternity, trusting Christ to be uh, our Savior. Trusting Him. Ann Samra, she works in our office now, but it wasn't that many years ago that she was turning through the channels and she happened to come upon the Potential Church program. And for whatever reason, she stopped and God founder, you might say. He tapped her on the shoulder, said, you need to stay here on this channel, I guess. Just kind of nudged her heart, no big word, just, just like he did you today, some of you. Some of you have tried really hard not to listen, to try to, you know, think about it, but God just keeps tapping. No, 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 this is for you. You need to, you need to pay attention. He just keeps kind of tapping you on the shoulder, and that's what he did for her. And, he's kinda, and what's he saying? He's saying, hey, will you trust me? Will, will you jump to me? Not a blind faith, right? There's all kinds of evidence, and then you see it in the people, the lives around you. Will you trust me? And, well, Anne, she decided she'd come and visit. She'd never been here before. 
She sat up there in the balcony, maybe where one of you guys are sitting. And you know what? God, God found her up there. And just like in some of our lives, he tapped her on the shoulder. and said, Anne, will you, will you trust me? Will you trust me? And she jumped to him. Although at the edge of the pool, there's so many reasons not to, right? I mean, after all, she had grown up Muslim. She had a little bit of Hindu and even some uh, Buddha, uh, Buddhism in her life. And it's like, man, I, I don't understand it all. I'm not sure exactly how my family's going to respond. I mean, I, I, there's always lots of reasons not to trust him. Right? You can talk yourself and look around. But she jumped, and when she did, it has forever changed her life. It's impacted the life of her family. And you know what I am so excited about when it comes to being a Christ follower? Is that Christ is, is not a God with a pointed finger. Like, he's not like, hey, I saw where you were last night. I saw what you did. Oh, my, you're in trouble. No, 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 no. God is not a God of pointed finger. God is a God with open arms that says, hey, will you trust me? Will you jump to me? I don't care where you were last night. I don't care what you did. My only question is, will you jump to me today? Will you trust me today? And that's what Easter really is. It's a reminder that the feelings and the emotions and the wrestle and the struggle, it's normal. You know, when our kids have grown up over the years, there have been lots of times where we have asked them to trust us. To say, hey, I trust that we love you and trust that we want what's best for you. In other words, just jump, trust. And, and, and they have on several occasions. But it's all because of that, that first jump. And there are some of us here who really struggle to trust God maybe in the relational part of your life or the financial area of your life, because if you're truly honest, you've never jumped to him. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about trusting him, giving him a total surrender. Up in the air, not one foot on the ground and one foot in religion, not pretending to be some, no, no, trusting him. All that you are surrendering to all that he is. You know, the sad thing is in the book of Matthew, it says there are going to be a whole lot of people who spend eternity separated from God. Not because they were evil people. Simply because they wouldn't trust Him. They wouldn't surrender to Him. Well, this is Easter. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that very thing. It's to trust Him. Whether you're here on the floor, whether you're in the balcony, maybe you're in the tent or over in the student building, to act, to trust him, to jump to him and let him put his arms around, surrender to him. So I'm going to pray for us because that takes great courage. And at the end of that prayer, I'm going to actually ask you to act, to join me here at the front. Now, we're not going to do anything weird up here. I'm not going to take you to another room. We're simply going to jump into the arms of Christ. And the Bible says the way in which we give or surrender God our heart is through the words of our mouth. Romans 10, 13 says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But there's something about action. There's something about moving into him, trusting him. And so I'm gonna pray for you. 
have been praying for you. Because, I mean, it's Easter and it's lots of stuff and lots of reasons, right? Lots of reasons to wait. I'll, I'll do it later. I mean, I'll, I'll just stay here at the edge of the pool, right, Christ? You know I'm sincere. But you got to jump. You got to trust him. It's your choice. And so I'm praying for you. So if you would, bow your head. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, this is your opportunity. Father, I pray that the enemy would be defeated. I pray that we would trust you, that we would surrender to you, that we would jump into your arms and experience your joy, your peace, your financial freedom, your second chance and new beginning. So as soon as I say amen, you're there in the balcony, maybe here on the floor. As soon as we start to stand, I mean, as soon as your legs start to straighten out, just step out. Don't wait to see what someone else is going to do. Don't wait to see how someone else is going to respond. This is just about you and God. He's the one that's tapped you on the shoulder. He's the one that squeezed your heart. And he's the one that you will jump to. God, I pray for courage. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Let's stand and let's worship and let's respond.